0: The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they managed to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here with John Kuna. As always today, we will be discussing Shamiqua Holtzclaw and adjustment so we chose adjustment because, you know, one of the, I think it was the recap episode, you know, um, after episode 10, we discussed what we did episodes one through 10. Um, you know, we started to get into the concept of kind of mental fitness, mental health, mental illness, mm-hmm. and how we want to make sure we're kind of covering those three territories pretty evenly. I think adjustment is, is can kind of relate to all three in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's definitely something that we all go through because when life events happen and adversity happens there is an adjustment period or when you go through transitions in life there's an adjustment period and we all go we all have diversity that happens and we all go through transitions or through different periods whether it's related to age and development or you know moving things like that you know job loss there's a lot of things which we're going to get into but that's why we chose this um you know as the topic that we want to get into because we hadn't focused on that yet and i think it relates to a lot of different things so just to give everyone a quick bio, so Shamiqua Holdsclaw is a former professional basketball player in the WNBA. She retired in 2007. I believe she briefly came out of retirement in 2009 to play and then re-retired. Mm-hmm. She was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018. She played basketball at the University of Tennessee under Pat Summit from 1995 to 1999. Uh, a couple interesting facts. She's the all-time leader in points and rebounds at Tennessee. That's men's or women's basketball players. She went first in the draft when she came out and was drafted into the WNBA. She's the first ever female ESPN player of the week, and that was when she was in college. And she currently works as a mental health advocate. So the uh, we always try to focus and connect people to a charitable organization that the athlete uh, works with or supports. Um, we put for this one, it's childmind.org um it's project u r o k of the child mind institute so we put a link on there and uh they reach out to teens directly and allow them to engage in the conversation about mental health on their terms in their space uh online it's a safe, welcoming, and fun online platform where they can watch and share videos, which I think is a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. So we put the link to that in the show notes. She also has, I think, uh, Shamiqua Holds Claw Foundation, but I couldn't find like a direct link to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people just to know that, I think that is out there is something she's done a lot, and probably relates to the camp she runs, which mm-hmm. we'll get into. Um, so I'm excited, you know, to talk about Shamiqua Holds Claw uh, on a personal level because for me, I mean, she was someone who. I really enjoyed watching when I was growing up. So I played, I played basketball, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. I got rid of soccer around age 12 and then just focused on basketball and baseball through the end of high school. Um, played at a decent level. I wasn't, you know, uh, an all American track athlete, like someone over (laughs) here, um, you know, don't hold it against (laughs) me. Uh, but, I you know I really was passionate about basketball and baseball and watching Shamika Holdsclaw uh, Shamika Holdsclaw in college when she was at Tennessee I remember that distinctly. This was around like I think I was twelve to sixteen years old when she was in college at Tennessee, and this was like the days of like you know watching Sports Center every morning and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and like watching her play basketball was. I distinctly remember it because she had like a fluidity to the way she played and it just seemed like effortless, which is interesting because when you watch the documentary, she actually kind of, I never heard talk about basketball really, or at least I don't remember because it was was a long time ago. She talks about how for her it was like an art form. Mm -hmm. And to me that clicked into like memories because I remember like watching her and kind of thinking like, wow, like she's so fluid with the ball, how she do that. And so she was one of my favorite basketball athletes in addition to a lot of guys in the NBA that that I, I grew up watching. Um, when I was growing up so she had a big impact on me wanting to get better at basketball and you know I think um, that's my first takeaway is that I was I was just interested to, to learn more about her uh, her overall story because um, it ties into me growing up and being passionate about sports um, so I want to talk a little bit of, obviously the topic is adjustment so I want to talk a little bit about you know adjustment as it relates to uh, Shamiqua Holtzclaw story and you know what were your takeaways with regard to that John
1: um, I think my 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 first takeaway there was there was a bunch. She's had a lot of things that she's like had to adjust to, mm-hmm. um, given given her circumstances, which we're going to get into more detail. Um, but I, I, I guess I feel like kind of like a broken record, but I feel like it was another example of an athlete who's used sports as a vehicle to like as a therapeutic vehicle mm-hmm. to sort of go through different things that she had been going through. So how to, how to compartmentalize all this stuff and struggles that she had had growing up and put it on to put it in a single place and to execute. And I saw that as being um, problematic because we see a lot of – we see this story over yeah. and over and over again of an athlete who maybe came from trauma, came from – you know some extenuating circumstances, and then sort of like athletics is what I'm going to do to process this stuff. and stuff they without throw actually, in, right? That, yeah. without actually doing the back end yeah, work of processing yeah. it. And so it, what it does is it, it 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 buys you time, and it does. That's all. And it
0: makes it you great as an athlete. Sure, sure does. You, you right. channel that emotion into excelling at something, yeah. right? And I think that's that's the story that I that's the that was the
1: like one of the main themes that I that I brought from it um, was another example of someone who utilized sports you know, for the right intention, but the overall longstanding impact was not great. And she talks a lot now, um, as like through her journey of processing all that different stuff. And I just, I thought it was, a, that was my, that was my biggest takeaway, um, from, from watching that documentary.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, you know, from a young age, she clearly, she even said it in the documentary, like, I didn't know how to deal with this stuff. And mm-hmm. so my solution was to go out on the court kind of at all times of the day and just throw myself into basketball. And it is one of those examples that we keep revisiting where it kind of, you know, it gives these uh, these athletes um, an opportunity to get through, right? Um, it allows them to, to to keep living and get through day to day and, you know, get better at a sport because they're just really like throwing themselves into that on a daily basis, which yep. allows them to practice at a level that other people who maybe aren't struggling as much sure. in life are not practicing at. Yep. Um, so it's like this, it's not, I want to say blessing and a curse, but it's like this thing that, on the one hand, gets them through and 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 lifts them up to to allow them to excel in athletics, and yet at some point down the line is going to end up really coming back to haunt them if mm-hmm. they're not doing some of the other stuff that we talk about along the way, like um, you know developing other purposes or uh, purpose or passions, um, you know, focusing on mental fitness and then being mm-hmm. able to let some of that emotion out in a constructive way, whether mm-hmm. it's in therapy or something else. So we see this kind of story quite a bit, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's both kind of sad and also um, kind of inspiring. That I feel like we're getting to a level where, where athletes are starting to pick up on that. Yeah, And hopefully, um, because they're picking up on that and athletes like Shamiko Holtzka are talking about it, they'll intervene earlier so that they'll still have the drive, um, You know, one might say the grim drive, <laughs> to ex- exceed uh, or excel at sports while also intervening in, in subtle ways along the path. Yeah. So that when they get to a certain point, they're not going to have things come crashing down. Yeah, I think what's what's also hard is
1: that it's like their love, right? Yeah, like they love what they do yeah. in that in that sport, which why it's like, well, I don't feel badly and I feel good while I'm doing it, right? So conceptually, you're like that makes sense, yeah. right? Of course, and it's, why, a and it's a great thing. It's a great yeah. thing. It's healthy for me. I'm being active. Like you can you can convince yourself mm-hmm. that all the stuff that you're not trying to address is less important than that sport, yeah. right? And that's why you see that pattern of people diving in. They entrench themselves even more. And then they start to sort of abuse that relationship, really. And everything starts to deteriorate as time sort of passes through. The less you think about it, the more impactful it becomes.
0: Yeah, and I think – I would guess it's hard for, for athletes and people in general. Like if you if you sat them down, let's say we we're in a therapy session with someone and you, you ask them to visualize – life after the sport what would that look like and really try to envision the day-to-day and which i think is a good exercise for people to do i think people struggle with that sometimes because they it it's just there's a level of kind of denial and kicking the can down the road like i'll be fine like whatever I'll, i don't need to worry about that now i'm happy now i'll, I'll get to that later mm-hmm. i think they underestimate what life is really going to be like functionally overall without that in their life and and um because there are so many elements to it and she actually talks to this uh, talks about this where it's not just the Not just, I think the the removal of the sport and the passion is the biggest thing, right? But it's also, um, I think for a lot of athletes, it's the removal of the camaraderie, right? The teammate uh, uh, context is gone. You no longer have that. It's almost like what happens for a lot of non-athletes when they're done with college. Like high school and college is kind of like your final sort of forced social environment where you're around all people your own age who you can connect with that doesn't really happen ever again in life unless Mm -hmm. like for me i worked in the restaurant industry in between careers and that kind of had that effect because there's a lot of people that were similar age and even the ones that were a different age kind of had a similar attitude mentality in a good way like personality and camaraderie so that kind of mimicked it but i think for most people after college they don't they no longer have those opportunities to be around people their own age they connect with and athletes it's the same it's like they that camaraderie in the locker room mm-hmm. and flights and you know travel oh, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff is gone. So you lose your teammates, you lose the camaraderie, you lose the sport and your main passion. Uh, I think she even mentioned the fans, um, you know, the the rush she got. I think mm-hmm. that was something for her, and it probably relates. Uh, I think this kind of ties into something similar to Robin Laner. You know, Robin Laner. When we focused on that episode, he talked about how uh, bipolar helped him as a goalie. Mm-hmm. She talks similarly about yeah. recognizing how bipolar helped her on the basketball court so that rush she got from playing basketball you can see it's it's like four or five different components that are now gone right and what do you fill that void with and i think Mm -hmm. people struggle with that a lot yeah
1: actually it's funny when i i I do that exercise a lot of like hey let's what 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 else do you do or what what's after sports yeah the the most common response that i get is i don't allow myself i can't i can't think like that yeah Right. I can't. handle go that. I can't think like yeah. that, right? Because this is everything right now, yep. right? And and for me, again, like as I'm looking, as I'm going through sort of like the the assessment for for athletes, of talking about like where are the where are some things that we need to really address, and that's yeah. definitely a red yeah. a red a red flag for me of like I can't allow myself to think like that. It's like, well, how do you handle that when when they say that? In the moment, I sort of I will say of like you know I I think that'd be important for us to talk about. I don't spend too much time because they're at a, such an entrenched place of like. If you were to say we're going to talk about that, risk I I risk jeopardizing that initial that initial um, relationship. But I do say we're we're going to come back to that. I do say, huh? You know, I'm curious about about that and how that impacts your performance and your just day to day life. Why don't we spend some time talking about that at some other time? And uh, they're always like, oh yeah, sure, absolutely, right? That and then we can come back to it when we've established more of a rapport. They start to do some of the stuff that we've been talking about. But that's always a question that I ask because it is really fascinating to get those answers and. It is a red flag for someone. Like, I can't think like that. Yeah. This is everything. I have to put all my attention to here, everything here. Mm-hmm. And in my head, it's like, well, that's not – first, like, it's it's not controllable. Like, you could get injured. You could – sport it ends, Anything could happen. COVID, right? right? Like, yeah. this this disrupted
0: everybody's. Yeah. And now it's like, if that's the only thing you do, now it's nothing. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. No, that, you make a good point. I, I feel like that's a skill as a clinician that you have because I think younger or less experienced clinicians would push that issue too quick. <laughs> and, it, and it diminishes the trust, and it's going to put the wall up for the person. They're not going to want to open up to you because mm-hmm. you go too quickly into that thing that's kind of like a third rail in the beginning. Right. You, you develop that trust and you get into that eventually yep. when they're ready, which I think is really cool. So, from an adjustment perspective, you know, I think this is what, again, you know, she has a diagnosis of bipolar, but that to me is not the big story with her, right? What mm-hmm. we're talking about now, the story is just the, the level of adjustment she's had to go through. <laughs> through different life events, which I think a lot of people can relate to. I don't want to minimize her experience because it's, it's unique in its own sense and it's her and she's been through a lot. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people in life have different uh, adjustments and transitions. So I think that's why we wanted to focus on that because, uh, you know, everybody has some level of an adjustment uh, or, or transition that they go through at different periods for her. It was to the nth degree. I think, you know, she really went through a lot. She was parentified at a young age. Mm-hmm. It sounds like um, she had, I think two, Alcoholic parents, yeah. Um, one Dad who was, had schizophrenia, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And she had to grow up quick, right? She had to kind of take care of them a little bit, take care of her, young, her younger brother. Um, then she, eventually, I think that uh, got, you know, went along too far and crossed the line, I think, with her parents needing help. And she had to go live with her grandmother, um, which was kind of two adjustments in one. Because one, she was taken away from her parents. Two, she had to go live in a very different area. She she uh, kind of described it as going from sort of the suburbs to the projects. I think that is a, a massive adjustment, not just in different environment, but it's like a different culture and different things that are going on there. So there's m- multiple adjustments in one with that. Mm-hmm. Then she uh, goes to Tennessee and has to adjust to Pat Summit. I think that <laughs> look, Pat Summit was a coach that I always looked at uh, as very um, you know just very impressed. I mean, she was clearly like really good at what she did. But you could tell she was intense, too. And I yep. think, um, you know, some athletes love that and some struggle with it. And, and Shamiqua Holtzclaw kind of talks about that in the documentary about, you know, Pat Summit had a lot of experience as a coach and knew which athlete was which, maybe, in terms of which ones to push. So she had to adjust to that um, because I don't think that was her experience receiving coaching in high school. Mm-hmm. Then she had to adjust to the instant fame while at Tennessee because she thinks she yeah. won the national championship as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And by sophomore or junior year was like the talk of the nation oh, yeah. from a basketball perspective. Yeah. So adjusting to f- instant fame, basically. Um, around that same time, her dad was put in a psychiatric hospital due to schizophrenia. Um, then she had to adjust to the WNBA. I think that was really hard for her. Mm-hmm. One, you're, you're living on your own for the first time. That's different. Um, then... I think losing was a big adjustment for her. It sounded mm-hmm. like she was used to winning. Right? Used to winning in high school. Used to winning at Tennessee. You go to the DC Mystics in the WNBA, and like when you're the first pick of the draft in any sport, there's a good team. A good chance your team's going to suck. Gonna Let's face not it. Be going on a good team. That's right. why they have. The why pick. they had the first pick. Right. Um, so you know, coming from a culture, multiple cultures of winning, to a culture of losing, when she was clearly a competitive person, which was kind of cool <laughs> to see, like that's hard to adjust to and yeah. i think she even said she looked around and like teammates were fine with it and she's like why don't you care like what's yeah. going on you know yeah. um then her grandmother died in 2002 i think she was really close to her grandmother retired twice um again we talked about not getting the same rush uh from playing the sport not having to travel fans teammate mm-hmm. uh, missing the creativity and the art form of it that's a lot to adjust to you yeah. know what i mean yeah um so that was a, a takeaway i think is like just the how many different things she had to adjust to. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then, you know, one of the other things too, like her mom coming back into her, coming back into her life and yep. being a little bit more involved. There's mm-hmm. just been injuries. She had, uh, she has had injuries and things like there's been a, There's been a lot of different opportunities for her yeah. along that, along her journey uh, where she's had to adjust to
0: different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple other, um, well, so one I want to toss to you, John, is this, um, you know, she touches on basketball being her release. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I want to see if you have any thoughts on that in general.
1: Yeah, just kind of similar to what we what we had talked about. I think that you know, for a lot of athletes, that's what that's one of the main that's one of the biggest things that I that I hear. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's a great place for me to like store my emotions and or release some of my emotions or let some of those things go. Um, I think she talked about this in the documentary too, like with the bipolar. It almost like that. Manic state that she used yeah. to get into played into her strengths that she identifies with like she saw basketball not as like a points thing or a rebounds thing or a whatever she saw it as like an art form yeah and she felt that she could be like the most creative she could be on the court mm-hmm. and I think that you know when you have such a tunnel vision of like this is the only place that I can do that I think that's where probably obviously problems came up yeah. you know unchecked bipolar 2 for a long time um you know, we can go into a whole other conversation about, um, you know, equal access to, to, to help and stuff like that. But I think her, her ability to get into like using leaning too heavily on sports as a release for her mm-hmm. led to her inability to like adjust to these different things kind of moving forward. So I think it was really and again, same point we've been made
0: before. This is what we see time and time and time again mm-hmm.
1: with with athletes across the
0: board. Yeah, and I, w- I would imagine non-athletes struggle with these things at times, whether they have that one thing, uh, whether it's a job or something else in their life mm-hmm. that um, they really go to for most of their joy or to keep themselves in a good place. There's always a risk that that could get taken away for some reason. Right. And it's I think not that you have to be obsessed with having like a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth backup plan, but it's good to be well-rounded and develop some, some passions because, you know, As you you go through different stages of life, things change, and especially physically, and you can't Mm -hmm. always do what you used to do, and you got to be able to adjust and take on kind of new – it's almost like taste buds changing. You have to be able to take on new things that keep you going in a good place, and you not reinvent yourself as a person, but you're gradually overlapping stages so that when one comes to an end, it's not this abrupt – you know, switch or adjustment period. You're able to smoothly adjust because mm-hmm. you've accounted for that. I think that's where we try to do it with clients.
1: Yeah, and I think
0: one of the things that's been really cool is watching that she's now
1: been able to translate that creativity that she found in basketball and put it into her advocacy work. Mm-hmm. Like she does lots of like speeches and talks, and she does she runs camps for kids yep, yep. talking about mental fitness, talking about the importance of these different things. And I think that she, that's a perfect example. Of somebody who has been able to say like okay the creativity is expandable right Mm -hmm. the the me as a person who who enjoys being artistic and fluid and you know creative basketball is not the only avenue that captures that Mm -hmm. ability in myself and she's done the work clearly to be able to say well i can also do that in here and get same she even talks about like when she goes up and talks to different big groups of people about her journey that she gets that, you know, that rush, Mm -hmm. not to the same level that it, that where you get to the manic pieces that she talks about, but she gets that same level. I think that's a perfect example of someone who has been able to adjust in a good way from something that once brought her a lot of joy that she can't do anymore to something that that can sort of replace that piece. And she's been able to make that adjustment. I think that that we're going to get into that in a little bit, but that that's a really, really good example of that to
0: see someone do that. Totally. Yeah. The, the camp she runs and how supportive she is to kids. And you know, one part of the documentary that stood out was when that she was, they were all sitting down kind of like in a circle and talking about stuff like that is something that I remember from when I was an athlete growing up, I felt like it was noticeable that that wasn't present like there was no human element to the camp it was just grind 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 mm-hmm. and get better at an athlete and don't feel pain and then don't talk about anything real just focus on being an athlete um particularly with basketball camp so it's like I, I felt seeing that um was awesome because they were talking about real life things they're talking about emotions mm-hmm. and the kids were so like uh eloquent about it and they were young <laughs> kids too it's super cool to see that yeah. like you know, talk, talking openly and not even worrying for a second about what their peers were thinking about what they're saying—that mm-hmm. is something that I think people like Shamiqua Holdsclaw have enabled to happen on a, a much larger scale because that wasn't the case probably five but definitely ten years ago. Yeah, certainly when we were growing up. So, no, and it was cool. There was that—that that, I think it was that same scene. There was
1: one girl who was sharing that, like, yeah, her friends are teasing her and she gets angry and then there was someone, like, someone off in the background. who I just heard like, yeah, me too. And yeah. her whole face and demeanor yeah. changed. Like, yeah. It was just like, oh, okay. Like that. Yeah. And then I think Shamiko picked up on that and was like, yeah, we're not alone. Everybody, we think yeah. that
0: these are things that are just we're going through, but every, like everybody has those things. And it was just it's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And I think you, you can tell that, um, you know, one, one clip that kind of stood out to me was when Meta World Peace, who used to be known as Ron Artest, um, talks about, I mean, I think he grew up in, in New York around the same time as her. Mm-hmm. He was a couple years older than her. And he also – I mean, he was joking around about like, you know, her beating him on the court and, <laughs> and her beating lots of guys on the court. So, that yeah. was pretty funny. But he also talked about how uh, – he said what she's doing right now is is more impactful than this fun little circle. And he, and he held up the ball, which I was just – I love that guy. He's so hilarious. Yeah. Um, and he's himself. He's like unapologetically himself, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. And I think he, he's someone that – I didn't realize it until – actually saw her documentary and seeing him talk but he's someone that that early on came out and he even talked about like how he thanked his psychiatrist after they won which i think was in 2010 yep and that was he said that was met with a lot of like you're crazy yeah it shows you how it was a much different time 10 11 years ago Mm -hmm. and I, i think it's cool that he was one of the one of the first people that was willing to be vocal about that and the fact that he said you know he he called it out in a good way for her that what she's doing right now is more impact- impactful than what she ever did on the basketball court mm-hmm. which is awesome. I mean, yeah. not obviously functionally it's awesome, but for her it's awesome because it's like it validates that basketball is not it for you and that you can develop other passions which I think was really cool. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, last takeaway I had is that she just she finally put herself first. Her whole life I think she spent trying to make sure everyone else was okay, uh trying to take care of family members at, at a young age when she shouldn't have had to do that. Um, and when she was retiring, she just said, you know, my life is more important than basketball. Yeah. And I think that was really cool that she got to the point where she was able to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to um, shift a little bit into the, uh, you know, adjustment section of this. So that, you know, we always cover a mental health topic, mental fitness topic, um, or a mental illness. We kind of try to cover those equally throughout the episodes. Today, we're going to talk about adjustment. And similar to the Dak Prescott um Dak Prescott Recovery episode, I'm going to do more of a Q&A with you, John, where I'm going to toss you some questions about adjustment. So how would you describe adjustment in general or talk about adjustment from a mental health perspective? So,
1: you know, just from like a, 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 clinical, a clinical lens, um, there's a lot of different like subcategories for it. So adjustment basically is the presence of an emotional or behavioral like symptoms or signs that sort of in a response to a stressor, something happened. Um, we're going to get into some typical ones that, you know, we see more frequently, um, within the first like three months of that, um, stressor sort of coming, coming aboard. And so you'll see irritability, you'll see distress, you'll see, um, disruption in daily functioning, those types of things like that, That's typically what we see, um, for, for adjustment, um, like impacting sleep, a, a lot of different mm-hmm. things. We're going to get into how that, so it maybe became a little bit problematic and sort of becoming like a catch all for everything. But that was, um, that's from like the clinical piece. So with adjustment, you can have just, just an adjustment disorder, um, an inability to sort of go through that. You can have it with depressed mood. You can have it with anxiety. You can have it with both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have it with disturbance of conduct. So this typically is with younger kids, um, where like the behavior is what comes out. So there may be a little bit more, um, you know, disobedient or, um, anger outbursts or tantrums Mm -hmm. or things like that that's typically some of the stuff that you that you see or so this is
0: something where like uh uh, you know we'll we'll take the kid as an example a kid goes through some kind of life event Mm -hmm. or transition and in that post event period of adjustment certain things are happening from a mental health perspective that may reach criteria for like an adjustment disorder diagnosis yep exactly yeah yep um that's interesting because i you know Adjustment disorder. So there's adjustment and and adjustment disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about both a little bit. Adjustment is, is, you know, obviously a a normal, natural thing that we all go through in life. Um, You know, when it comes to certain things happening, which which you're going to talk about in a second. I think adjustment disorder has has been it's not as much now, but for a long time was kind of like a catch-all diagnosis, um, which sort of reflected like the over-pathologizing of of the need for diagnoses in mental health uh, with mental illness. I think like a for a long time, you know, this reflects like the, the insurance landscape and insurance companies needing to people to justify why they get help from a therapist, which we need to move past. I think we're getting better. I mm-hmm. think since they shifted things, maybe in the DSM five or, or since then, um, there's a little bit more flexibility around not necessarily having to have that, but still, you know, they require a diagnosis yep. to get treatment, and you know, which shouldn't be that way. We're like people. We need to intervene earlier on so that they're not getting to the point where they have mental illness. And to me, adjustment disorder is kind of a, a way for insurance companies to, to um, or I know therapists have taken advantage of this, to be able to fit things in that diagnosis because otherwise they might just be adjusting to a life event, but they don't reach criteria for depression or anxiety or something more serious. And if they don't diagnose them as, with adjustment disorder, the insurance company will, will deny the access to care. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a, a huge problem in our field, I think, where You know, we can't, you know, we can't uh, pathologize diagnoses. We have to get to the point where people can get the support they need earlier on without having to feel like they have to fit into a diagnosis. Um, So what are the most common things in life, you know, from a a general adjustment uh, perspective that, you know, people tend to struggle adjusting to? Most common ones that I come
1: um, into contact with would be sort of like environment. So environmental changes. Mm -hmm. So move towns, new school, um, New home, new job, new friends. I mean, there's lots of lot, lot of that type of stuff. Like the environment in which you are in okay. somehow changes or yep. shifts, um, and that could be a whole host of different things. So that's typically the the number one things that I see. Oftentimes, when I was working in schools, it was new kids coming to this to the school and having. To, and we had a lot of international students mm-hmm. that came in, and that's a massive change. So not just a new school, a new home, a new Country, culture, yeah, language. Yeah. Everything was different. Yep. So that's another that's another piece too um, a new like sibling. So inviting another like family member into the, into that, that's usually an adjustment Mm -hmm. period. Um, and then death is definitely another big one that that comes into play too. That's a major adjustment, um, for people to have to, to have to go through. And then again, specific to the work that I like to do, um, is is injury. So with, with, with athletes specifically, that's a massive adjustment, um, sort of kind of flirts with, death in terms of like there's a grieving process to it yep. um but that's those are sort of like the most common ones that typically come in to play like when i'm talking specifically about adjustment those are the those are the top ones
0: yeah and you, i mean just hearing you talk about that you know it, it hits home like how often that stuff happens like how often do you change schools or like when you go to high school to college or when you go for college let's say you have to move back home to save money before you can live on your own or even if you from college to living on your own i think mm-hmm. it's its own adjustment. Uh, breakups obviously are huge adjustment, job changes, things like that require a period of adjustment. And some people adapt, uh, at a normal pace in that period and other people don't, they really struggle. Um, you know, the pandemic is obviously like having to live at home for a year. Yeah. Like uh, (laughs) being stuck inside. I think post pandemic is going to be adjustment too. I know it's, it's easy for us to, um, you know, to think that as things continue to ease, that we're all going to be fine. But I think it's going to require its own adjustment period, and some people might struggle with that. Even though it's it's good, obviously a good thing to get out of a pandemic or closer to normalcy. Some, not everyone's going to adjust perfectly to that. It might be really hard for people. It might take a period. It might be speed bumps along the way. Um, so, what is the zone or timeline of adjustment, John? When it comes to like, you know, when things have gone beyond the period of kind of quote unquote adjustment, and now we're we're concerned because. Maybe within that period, they should have adjusted mm-hmm. at their own pace, but within reason. What does that time zone or period look like versus when it gets too far? Right. So we t- we typically talk about it in two different ways, like acute
1: and chronic, um, or long long standing. So mm-hmm. acute is anything under the, anything under six months. Okay. So we typically try to, that's the time zone that we look at of like. From when the stimulus or change happened that the, mm-hmm. the, the client is adjusting to, yep. has it been within six months? Okay. So, and I think that this is one of the things that I ran into when I was working in schools that was slightly problematic is that six months is essentially depending on when the kid comes to school, that's a whole school year. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a it's, a it's a long time, and but it's sort of still within the range of like typical. Potential of adjusting, but it also is like that's that's half a year. Yeah, right. That's a long that's a long time yep. um, for people to to have that and then you can go into the chronic, which is basically just anything outside of that six months. So when stuff starts to really like your daily function is mm-hmm. impacted and unable to sort of get back to normalcy and get back to normal routines and you know, relationships might be deteriorating that type of stuff. When it goes past that six month piece that it's still affecting, it's still impacting you. That's really where it, you know I find like we get into like the adjustment specific stuff, um, and sort of like get into the diagnostic work and treatment. That's really like anything more than six months is sort of like a pretty major
0: red flag. Okay, yeah, that's a good way to put it. So I know more recently. Right. With uh, we just talked a few minutes ago about the easing of the pandemic and us kind of getting back to some normalcy here. Hmm. One example of that is how schools are are really starting to open up more and more across the boards to having kids go back in person. Thankfully. Yep. Um, What are your thoughts on on just for, for parents and or for kids adjusting to the process of going back to school in person full time?
1: Yeah, I think we could. I think we really could spend almost an entire episode talking about this, and maybe we should, um, because I think this is going to be a major one. I think that the the default for schools is everything back to normal. Mm -hmm. Like kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. And from the schools perspective, from the schools perspective, yeah, I think that you know, and and quite frankly, I think from an adult perspective too, I think that we often put too much on the fact that like kids are resilient. Yeah, and like while I do agree with that, it doesn't mean that they. Like we can't we can't help them because yeah. they're just tough, right? Mm-hmm. You know they're they're people as well. Um, so I think that that could be almost like a strategy that's worked that works almost like too like not well enough, or you overutilize that of like, well, let's just get back to normal, normal structure, normal everything, and basically just try to like forget what happened, mm-hmm. and we're not going to talk about it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll spend like. A day or two talk. What did you do during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Which I have my own problems with because for a lot of kids, it, it's not going to necessarily be a memorable one. it um, could and potentially be potentially like, retriggering. Yeah, of, tra- traumatic, traumatic things yeah. that happened during the pandemic, loss of
0: loved yep, ones, all yep, these different yep. things. So, which teachers don't always know. Like, and that's not their fault necessarily. No, but from it's a, not. like a mental health perspective and a trauma perspective, they may not know that elic- You know, asking that question risks eliciting some yep. emotions from that trauma. I agree. Right, yeah. I think, but that's
1: like the the being in schools i was in schools for a long time and that just you sort of just like learn a little bit of the systems and that's definitely one that they they lean on Mm -hmm. of like let's just get back to normal get back to normal and i and i I, while i agree with the concept of providing structure and routine for kids and people who are going through things i think that that's valuable Mm -hmm. but without the process like accurate processing or like real processing of the stuff that happened it can be problematic and again it kind of leads into like teaching kids like forget about what just happened and just focus on this Mm -hmm. i think that that's a mixed message for kids and then toppled with like well they're resilient so they can just deal they can just deal with it yeah um i think is hard and so i think for 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 parents helping kids go back in again i think we maybe we could spend uh, you know maybe half an episode talking about some like really helpful things but i think that i would you know i think you're safe I think that's a big one. I think it's okay to go back to school. Um, and so buying into the fact it, that it's okay to be yeah, transitioning back. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of apprehension yeah. across the board. Kids have been hearing just similar stuff that we've been hearing about the dangers of going back, and you know, in our household, we call them the germs. You mm-hmm. know, that's what they've been referred to. And um, so I think you know having conversations with your kids about like, hey, that's what's going to go back. It's it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be different. I think. That's okay for them to know that, um, and then having being able to have the conversations with them about it, engage them with you know have some maybe some fun activities when they when the kids are coming home to be planning yeah. of like how to wrap that up a little bit, um, and you know try I think the structure will be good. I think there's going to be a massive deep breath and exhale from parents who have had to be doing full time work mm-hmm. and full time mm-hmm. parenting. It's uh, it's been it's been a struggle. I was
0: thinking <laughs> that that's one thing that came to my mind was like. You know, obviously, school is, going back to school is not going to fix everything, mm-hmm. and um, we have to pump the brakes on expecting it to just be perfect right away. Yeah. And be, yet, yeah. at the same time, when as soon as those kids go back, <laughs> I feel like parents should, like, maximize self-care in those <laughs> moments. Like, go do something. You've just yeah. been, like, saddled with, like, three full-time jobs um, mm-hmm. and been, you know, isolated and stuck around family for a long time, which even for the strongest families is really hard because yep. you get no balance to your life. Yeah, I think it's taking a toll on people, and it's hard to even know the toll until we get some separation. Yeah, so I think that's keep that in mind. There, there may be some bumps, and when you know the kids go to school go do something for yourself and, and maximize that a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I think I, I, to, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think teachers are going to need an enormous amount of support as well. Um, and I think, quite frankly, I think they've been a little bit almost forgotten in this process of like, oh, that teachers can, they can handle it. Right. And so I think they're going to need a lot of support of like what that's look, looks like rolling in. I think that we always talk about like the honeymoon period for mm-hmm. like when kids come back from school, it's usually like they're coming back from a summer. Everyone's sort of like hyped up and excited um, September usually goes pretty well, and then October, November starts to roll in, work increases, gets colder, and we see like a little bit of a shift in mood and behavior Mm -hmm. and I think that's going to be exaggerated a little bit this year yeah I don't think we're going to be coming in with as as much excitement I think we're going to be coming into the school year with a lot of apprehension and fear as well unlike we've really experienced before how school is going to look how are you going to keep my kids safe there's gonna be a lot of anxiety from parents and from kids as well I think we have to be able to address that and also give it some time to really like work through that um so I, I think that that I think the understanding of what is going to be, I think, is important to start with. Of like, You're going to be anxious. That's fine. Everybody else is going to be feeling anxious about what that looks like. Celebrate it, mm-hmm. right? Definitely be excited about it, that it's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, not you having to work full-time and work full-time um, with doing, you know, parenting and your job. So I think that's going to be a good thing to celebrate. I think the first thing that needs to be really addressed is just, like, it's safe or you're good this is great it will be there might be some hard things mm-hmm. with it the, the relationships and friendships are going to be an adjustment period too like seeing your friends more consistently you may there's some kids who haven't seen their friends in a year mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like yeah. um and how that's going to be addressed and you know how our school is going to manage that um, will be
0: will be interesting to see how that rolls how that how that rolls out yeah for sure and i think especially because we're already you know when we're recording this anyway it's it's um you know second week of march and i I feel like this year i don't want to call that you know this school year in particular like a wash but like i do especially for younger kids it's like their mental health is much more important than necessarily like how what grades they get this year especially again at at younger ages i think it's important to kind of like be a little bit more accepting of maybe mental health days as a concept Mm -hmm. um you know prioritizing mental health and and their adjustment more than you know necessarily having to have them back you know so let's say like they go back and the first two weeks are really tough for them and you can see signs from a parenting perspective i think it's okay to like give them a day or two off uh, mm-hmm. from school altogether you're getting towards the end of the year you know to me that's that's how i think it, it, sh- it should yeah. be or at least like considered so that um we're not expecting just this abrupt change because i mean some kids might love that i think a lot of kids are missing the in person stuff yep. and, I think a lot of kids are resilient. They're gonna and they're gonna be okay. But some kids may struggle with that, and, yeah. um, and some kids have done amazing yeah, with the online the learning yeah, and yeah. done
1: way better with yeah. not having to go to schools. And that's going to be a huge adjustment for them going back into a place that like was probably more of a struggle yeah. than being at home yeah. in their comfort zone getting their work done. Yeah. Like I have plenty of clients who are like, I'm not very much looking forward to going back to school because mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed yeah. my environment that I've been yeah. able to do my schoolwork and are actually
0: thriving. Yep. Yeah, and I think. Um, i I respect and appreciate teachers I really do and John I also think that uh parents have maybe I think us looking at teachers has been put on like this pedestal like oh they have it they have it so bad and we always we have to look out for the teachers I think we gotta put the parents up at the same level like mm-hmm. parents have had to be the teacher mm-hmm. for the most part right and be the parents and work full-time for the like better part of like 14 months 13 mm-hmm. 14 months uh, so I think it's just good to put the parents up there at the same level. I they, agree. Yeah, they're gonna need, they're gonna
1: need. And I think we. I think after us talking about this, though, I think we should maybe expand, like, do a fuller episode on like supports for both kids adult, yeah, like, yeah. and adults as well. I think that'd be. I think that'd be useful.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, um, what do you work on with clients when it comes to adjustment? Any kind of go-to strategies, whether it's youth or adults?
1: Yeah, uh, some of the same stuff. So I do a lot of the like. A, a lot of times with adjustment, like anxiety, is a, is a pretty prevalent symptom or sign that kind of comes through. So we talk a lot about like coping mechanisms and a lot about like de-stressors or Mm -hmm. things like that, of like how to manage that type of stuff, whether it's, um, externalize it somewhere else, put it down on paper, talk about it, stuff like that. Um, I think that's a, that's a big one. Finding proper coping skills for the for the anxiety um learn the like why it caused so much disruption this is more of like a long-term conversation but understanding like what was it specific about this transition that caused this much disruption in your life and trying to understand like the the details of Mm -hmm. why that kind of happened and then with a balance of allowing for processing but helping them bring back normal routines that mm-hmm. was that was good for them and mm-hmm. and uh, and quite frankly adjustment can be it can be a really great opportunity to sort of rebuild routines and habits back into your life that are positive. And like you spoke about before, like the removal of ones that maybe weren't in, but weren't the most best, like most beneficial mm-hmm. for you. So I think that, you know, helping them bring back to normal teens, help them get back a- into access with their support networks. So whoever that is, family, friends, helping them get back in touch with,
0: with that. Um, it sounds like that. So you make a great point there. I want to touch on that. Yeah. It sounds like you're, what you're describing is kind of like minimizing the contrast. Like, because when you adjust from one thing to the next, that contrast between A and B is what makes it so stark and hard to adjust. Mm-hmm. If you can pull positive elements from A and make sure they're in place for B, it maybe minimizes that contrast and mm-hmm. reduces it, which would make the adjustment easier. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Makes sense. It's
1: sort of like a blend of a blend of both, and I think we we. We have, we've talked I've talked about this a lot. Um, a lot of the work that I do with with my with my clients is like the concept of like polarity management of like two opposing ideas mm-hmm. and trying to blend the blend the best of both. And this is sort of the example yeah, of that yeah. of kind of like not being, you know, the the jolt and shock of the initial adjustment that brought you into the office. If I do the exact same thing in the opposite way, it's not really going to serve its purpose very well. It's just going to be another massive like shock and yeah, jolt yeah. and that what caused you to be here. So finding ways of like, well let's reintroduce your support networks. You got a lot of like energy from, from being around people. Let's find a way that we can make that work. You've lost touch with some people that you used to have a good relationship with. Let's find ways that maybe we can get in touch with those people again to like build back things yep. that you generated strength from. Um, and then getting into some of the like nitty how's your sleep, how's your nutrition, how's your exercise, kind of covering that type of stuff because those are often the first three that kind of mm-hmm. go away go, yeah um as you're trying to like deal with these different things and then kind of help instill some optimism hope um goal development um purpose development all the stuff that I kind of I, I kind of go to of like well let's let's find some things we want to work on to kind of keep us moving forward in that and get unstuck
0: so not will. being too too stuck or fixated on the temporary. Right. challenges that they're going through and really trying yep. to like have a vision towards the hope and optimism. Exactly. Yeah, Cause yeah. essentially that's a lot of times that's what
1: happens. You get stuck in that period. Yeah. Of you think adjustment. it's going to last forever. Right. This right. is, this is just what it is. Yeah. And you can't, you can't get yourself past that. And yeah. so helping them work to develop new goals in the future is really good while ide- identifying their hindrances and fears through fear setting mm-hmm. or exercises like that to help them understand like, these are the things that are going to consistently try to hold you back, yeah. plan for them yep and then identify where you want to move to and that, that typically is a pretty good um that uh, you know that that's that's another one that I usually yeah. really go to and then really trying to help them understand and again like help them understand like their own confidence and their ability to do that like that their 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 self-efficacy is probably taking a hit mm-hmm. so helping them understand like what are you good at what are your strengths what, what are the things that you perform well at and you know, really, really capitalize on those things to kind of help generate some movement forward.
0: Yes. That reminds me of the Simone Biles episode we did where it was remembering that you've done this before yeah. and you had, it's sort of that cultivating confidence that you do with a lot of clients where you're, you're really encouraging them to weigh the positives as much as the negatives, right? Maybe going through some negative things. It's easy to lose sight and forget about the positive things going on or the the strengths that they have, that they have put into place Mm in the past. And remembering that they are capable of doing these things, I would imagine that that it sounds more like cultivating confidence that helps them adjust.
1: Yeah. yeah. And an exercise I do, and I, I would encourage people to do it right now, if I were to say, you know, list out five things that you don't really like about yourself and then look, give me five things you like about yourself, you could probably list out 30 things you don't like about mm-hmm. yourself and struggle to come up with one or two. Yeah. And that's that that that's that imbalance. And yeah. Helping them understand of like get them refocused and get them more in access to the strengths. It, it helps them to sort of like, okay, I can do this. Yep. I can keep working. I can keep moving and then identifying where they want to work to and
0: how you're going to get there. And that's sort of the process that we kind of go through. Absolutely. That's great. So we're going to wrap up for today. We want to, um, you know, remind people just to uh, subscribe to the grim drive podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can go to YouTube and just search the grim drive podcast Uh, At some point, we'd like to get our own custom URL, which would make the search process even easier. (laughs) That's the whole point. We need to get to 100 subscribers. Come on, close. We just need a little bit of help. So, anyone who's willing to help us out and hit click subscribe on YouTube, we also want to encourage people to check out a new podcast called "We're All a Little Crazy." It's done by Theo Fleury, Darren Ravel, and Eric Cussin. Um, You know, Theo Fleury is a former NHL, I think, hockey goalie. Uh, Darren Ravel is, uh, you know, a sports uh, media personnel uh, person, I think. And then Eric Cussin started, um, you know, the Same Here movement, Global Mental Health movement. Um, so it's really cool what they're doing and it's a podcast that covers mental health related topics and we encourage everyone to to check that out so we want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive Podcast today for this discussion about uh, Shamiko Holds Claw and adjustment we will be back next week to talk about Ben Gordon and bipolar thank you thanks everyone